Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. You're listening to Rival Consoles. Rival Consoles is musician Ryan Lee West. Born in Leicester, England, he records on the record label Erase Tapes. In 2013, he released an EP titled Odyssey, and in 2014, an EP entitled Sonne, which featured a more organic sound that included his acoustic guitar playing and drumming. West toured with Clark and No Such Thing before releasing his third full-length titled Howl. I sat down with Ryan to talk about music and art in the Flatbush section of Brooklyn while in town for his show at the Knitting Factory. Here's our conversation. So yeah, I guess the the good way to start it would be to ask you about where where you're from and, and yep. kind of your backstory because you know I've read a little bit about your upbringing. If you could fill that in, that would be great. Yeah. So uh, my name's Ryan West. I perform under the name Rival Consoles. Uh, I started learning the guitar when I was 12 years old and for sort of the first 10 years I was in terrible bands and uh, some bands that are kind of okay. Yeah. Um, but I became obsessed with music basically from yeah learning the guitar and then I think as I got to around 20 years old I was so fed up with relying on other people that I just started making um doing everything on my own Mm -hmm. and obviously when you become aware of computers then that facilitates working on your own like times a million yeah and it's weird because i didn't even know that then it sounds obvious now to everyone like oh if you want to do stuff on your own get a computer because then you can record stuff and then build stuff on your own but even then, yeah. <laughs> didn't, that didn't even occur to me. Yeah, yeah. So it took actually a few years of working with a computer to realize that, oh, I could actually just do this on my own. Right. Because I was the way I started was just sketching out stuff, and but still thinking in mind of using, uh, playing with a band. Yeah. But it took like, yeah, probably three or four years to just realize that, okay, actually, maybe I'll just do this. And, that, and it wasn't electronic to begin with. I was going to say, were there people that you were seeing who were... Um, performing music live with computers at that point no. that made you feel like, oh, this is not at a all. way to make music. No, I was still completely out of... I mean, I'd, I was excited by hearing things like Aphex Twin when I was 15 years old, mm-hmm. but it never occurred to me to even think about making music like that. I right. just sort of was excited by it, but it was just not in my view. I it's, think I had that same thought. I remember being in my friend's car and listening to Square Pusher. Yep. For the first time. He's like, oh, it's this guy Square Pusher. And hearing it, like I knew there was jazz bass or there was instrumentation, yeah. but it was obviously, you know, the, the computer was involved. Yeah. Or I don't even know if I thought that. I just thought to myself, this is incredible. And I never thought I could make music like this. No. Right? You, it just kind of existed. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's pretty weird. I don't know if that's just this too. Well, <laughs> or whether I mean, there's a whole era of people just with this mindset. Yeah. Well, I, I think younger people now, it's probably much more accessible to... You know, you just, computers yeah. is the way you, 
you use it for everything now. Yeah. Much. So it's like an almost intuitive process. But when you were growing up, did your parents listen to a lot of music? Like, what was the music like in the house? Um, it, mom, mom and dad are not, um, you know, deeply into music. Yeah. But what music was played would have been classic sort of pop, like yeah. Beatles, Rolling mm-hmm. Well, I don't, you know, they're not just pop, but Rolling Stones, Beatles, right. The Who, mainly sort of British American sort of big names and never really anything away from that yeah so and I think that's definitely sort of shaped a certain mentality that I have when it comes to structure of music Mm -hmm. because when I first started making music under the name Rival Consoles all of the songs are sort of three minutes long and they've got sort of like a verse chorus pre-chorus bridge sort of structure to them yeah so I think and that's without even me wanting to do it is is based on growing up listening to these short yeah. sort of concise pop songs and it's took me like nearly 10 years to actually deviate away from that right yeah because the well even when making art you know those things that you're exposed to early on it, it's kind of unconsciously ingrained yeah you know itself onto your mind so you're not even thinking i'm making songs in a structure that i'm familiar with but that's what you know it, growing up i'm sure that was what you were familiar with yeah so. yeah definitely it's just weird how it took so long to deviate away because I'm, I'm aware of it. Yeah. But still, it's. I think only, only now I'm starting to make much longer, more gradual, gradually progressive pieces of music. Yeah. It's such a challenge as an artist to break away from, you know, your inherent way of working. Yeah. You know? Like the default to everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of times that's a huge challenge is to just try to keep reinventing your process or to think about how you can tweak things, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. So the bands that you were in back then, was it rock and roll? It was sort of more sort of post-rock, um, instrumental. Yeah, it's even a bit sort of hardcore, post-hardcore sort of mm-hmm. things were going on. Because I think at that point in time, that sort of music was really potent. So what I'm were talking, some of the people you were listening to? Well, or just had obvious stuff like At The Drive-In. And, mm-hmm. But then like, and people like Mogwai. Yeah. But it was, it was, it was messy though. That, that, there was no like, yeah, yeah. there was movements, but it was more like a bit of this, a bit of that. Right. Um, but yeah, it's weird being a, I think now actually, I think for the first 10 years, I couldn't write good music on the guitar, but I feel like now I can. Yeah. I don't, and I, that kind of stresses me out because it makes me think: Should I be <laughs> writing stuff with the guitar? Yeah. Should I be releasing stuff with the with the guitar? Um, and I have included a few instances of it on my rival consoles music, but yeah, the band stuff was generally a bit messy and weird. Yeah. So when you're writing, do you do you start off with the guitar? Mm, no, not. I don't start off. I tend to use it to come up with melodies. Maybe once something's established itself. Yeah. Um, or maybe to solve problems because my knowledge of solving problems on the guitar is better than with, let's say, the piano. Yeah. So it's it, but it is used a lot, but it's just very subtle the way that it's used in right. the music. Yeah. But never from, rarely from the starting point. Yeah. So when you uh, transitioned from to making your own music, what was your, what were you using at that point? You know, <laughs> or what was your, your influences? What was your music like at the beginning? With with computers of like or just working solo, you know. Um, it would have been ridiculously. It would have had like a music 
like it would have had a strength to it in terms of like ideas and composition but the execution would have been absolutely <laughs> absolutely redundant and default yeah. because it took me a long time to understand how to shape sounds or how to layer sounds mm-hmm. i don't know if some people whether other people would like get it very quickly but i just couldn't get over for years if i would hear like a snare drum in a song i would think mm-hmm. oh i really like that snare how do i do that and then I would try and do it with a really limited tool. Yeah. And I would never be able to do it because it's just not the, necessarily the way. But it took me ages to understand there's loads of different types of tools and different processes. Yeah. So that, the whole thing was, um, yeah, it was, just, it was just messy. Well, it's kind of like collage in a way, isn't it? Yeah. Na- yeah, but I didn't understand that then. Yeah. Because if I thought of it as collage then, then I would have, I think, been better equipped to doing it. Right. So, because, yeah. Well, sometimes you got to get into the process, dig around, yeah. and then take the step back and kind of, you can sort of understand. You yeah. know, it's the same way with collage. I remember when I first started working with collage, yeah. it was like magazine cutouts, because that's just what I thought, oh, that's what collage is. Yeah. Know? It's just, I, I'll take these different images and kind of rearrange them. And then I started using Colorade paper, which is a silkscreen, it's beautiful, flat yeah. silkscreen colors that come in giant reams like tablets of it yep. and just cutting out the shapes of images that I was working on yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh this can be collage too and then starting to work other things back into it but it's almost like trying to understand something from outside before you even start it yeah. it's impossible you have to get in there get dirty and kind of oh, yeah, definitely. You know, work through that process so in listening to you know some of your older records um, I've noticed that the sound kind of morphed and has changed over that time. Is that something, whenever you're writing music, you're kind of conceiving before you do it? Are you learning through the process of making? How does that kind of work? Yeah, I think I'm just learning through the process of constantly creating. Mm -hmm. So, And it's also, I think, just a maturity in judgment. I feel like over the last 10 years, I've got acquired a much better... sense of judgment in terms of what sounds I want and what I want from sounds Mm -hmm. in terms of how they behave or how they influence the sounds around them you know all these things which are totally subjective but when you're doing them I feel like there is like an objective truth to them or you know the way that certain sounds behave around each other um, is something that I just think takes ages yeah it's just because it's really subtle but it doesn't how can I explain this (laughs) Because my head's quite a scrambled mess when it comes to sort of thinking about music. But basically, I work very intuitively now. So I just record things super quick, get it down. Okay, just delete that. Okay, keep that, move that. And just Mm -hmm. really smashing things out very quickly. So within a few hours, I'd have several ideas and, you know, 20 minutes worth of music. Like just maybe it, actually collage is probably the best way to describe yeah. a lot of the time how I'm sort of composing, but it's very basic collage. So I, I like to achieve a lot with a few layers, mm-hmm. um, but it's just super quick. And because I don't like things to be, to sound over labored. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of a big influence in my sort of practice is trying, because obviously with computers, there's a, there's a tendency to, Ed, over edit and over labor things yeah. because you can yeah. and because it is it is addictive so I've sort of I think created a, pro- a process of making art which is like a a reaction to that mm-hmm. um, yeah. and well, it, it seems it, to be working as well 
It's like that with collage or even painting, thinking about, you know, you could just keep working things over and over to where there's no air left in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that air is really important at times. And some people are just like masters of having that air in the music. Yeah. You know? It's a challenge because now it's so easy to layer. It's yeah, so yeah. easy. Remember back in the day when it was like a four track, Yeah, you know, yeah, you were a little more limited in a sense. Um, but thinking about and talking about the snare and that you like that snare sound <laughs> and wanting to work that in. Yeah. Do you, when let's say you're writing... Do you write a, a group of songs together for a record, say? Or do you work slowly over time and it just compiles itself into a group of songs? Yes, definitely. Well, up until now, it's been slowly over time, just um, building a sense of like a coherent record. But I think because my way of making has become so specific, there's a lot of continuity across several things that are happening over years. Yeah, It's, it's, it's becoming far less... Yeah, it's, well, it's just becoming more coherent, I think, the practice. Right. So when you're hearing things, like let's say you're, you know, listening to something in your day-to-day, yeah. and you're picking up on things that you're really interested in, yeah. does that kind of sneak its way in? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is it consciously, or sometimes unconsciously? I think, yeah, I mean, because now I, f- I feel like almost every sound that I hear, I can I understand how to create it. Yeah. Or very close. So now if I do hear something, I, I would definitely explore trying to include, like, the sound or maybe the behavior of the sound yeah i'm really interested in taking behaviors rather than actual things so if i like the way that something how something functions in a piece of music i'll try to include that functionality rather than the actual the actual sonic element of yeah it. yeah which so here's my question and i'm probably dead wrong but i was when i was listening to the first track on how yeah you know that kind of i don't know that click it's kind of like that high-end kind of skitter that's happening yeah it has like this to me, it sounded like an African polyrhythmic beat to it. Yep. It's not a beat, but it's this rhythm, this pulse to it. Was that something that's conscious or is well, it just happening? That, you know? Well, that piece is purely influenced by a Colin Stetson, Sarah Neufeld piece of music. Uh-huh. Because I really love the clicky driving rhythms that he gets out of the sax. Yeah. So I was literally trying to just tr- to, to have a similar set of behavior, mm-hmm. this sort of quite wonky clicky rhythm that's driving the piece of music um and yeah all that stuff's very random and like the the sound of me drumming on two cushions in that which which is massively compressed so it becomes this really noisy actually quite bad sample Mm -hmm. but in the actually within the music it it disrupts the rhythm so the rhythm sounds more um, it pulls it forward. Yeah. I, I like I like disruption. I think yeah. in, in yeah. sounds all the time. So you can't even you don't even know. But when you listen to that on its own, it's ridiculous. Right, right. <laughs> but then layered in, layered yeah. in it. Yeah, it again functions. with collage, you know, a lot of elements that you put in there. If you isolate it, it just seems yeah. it won't work or it's ridiculous. <laughs> but it's yeah. you know that space in between and the other sounds kind of build to make everything yeah. you know cohesive in that sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, are you do you listen to a lot of polyrhythmic? music um i don't think i do i did when i was growing up a lot sort of more prog rock sort of experimental stuff and obviously people like steve reich and yeah terry riley i would have listened to a lot when i was at university i, I mean i definitely love that stuff but i just worry that the tech it becomes more about the, the technique mm-hmm and it becomes too derivative of itself. Yeah. So when I'm making music, I, I like... Basically, my ultimate music would be music which anyone can make, but no one can make. Yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I'm trying to not trying to do, but I I try to approach that. Yeah. Whereas if you listen to obviously those like masterful composers, right, you it is difficult to create something with that language because it's already quite intellectual. Yeah. Well, I try to, and again, this might be talking back about my upbringing and listening to much more, I, I guess, more simplistic music. Blue collar music. Yeah. yeah. Well, not to say that it's not easy to obviously make like hit songs like the Beatles, but the the language, I think the, the music vocabulary that they're using is much more accessible immediately. It's direct. Yeah. Know? I so, mean, something like Philip Glass is taking yeah. things to a little more, you know, it's taking it past the, the point of just a direct conversation with the listener. Yeah. And he's becoming really interested in the, the formulaic analytical aspect yeah, of, yeah, yeah. of creating that song, you know? Yeah. But then you have someone like Tony Allen yeah. who's making percussive polyrhythmic things that are, you know, they're pretty heady, I would think. You know, they're they're, they're not simple, but no. they do still feel direct and intuitive. And, yeah, that might you be know. the, I guess the instrumentation is often like paramount in how you understand something. Because for some reason, I think most people can perceive the sound of drums mm-hmm. um, as being complex in a much easier way than right. like tonal complexity. Yeah. Because I think... Some of the glass stuff is so dense tonally yeah. that most people can't—they 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 don't know where they are in it mm-hmm. in the idea, which is good, obviously. Yeah. But I think I'm just trying to think of my current music. I'm definitely including elements of this, but I'm very careful about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of density and Philip Glass, have you seen Koyaanisqatsi? No. Do you know that documentary? No. It's um, it's actually. a stop motion um, movie okay. about the world, and it was I think it was made in the eighties, in the early eighties, if I'm not mistaken. But it's this amazing, long, insanely dense um, <laughs> yeah. image of our society, of our world. You know, whether right. it's like you know people crossing at Times Square, and you know it's it's time time lapse, so yeah. everything's like super sped up. And, you know, these cities and lights and windows to nuclear reactors. Do. Yeah. It's just an amazing film. You yeah, it sounds good. It sounds quite it anxiety. <laughs> it is, it is. It's, I, I showed it to my students here and there and they really, I think it's a lot to take. Yeah, <laughs> it's, especially it's, if it's set to his sort of music being yeah, very intense. And it's the pipe organ kind of yeah. version, so it's even more ominous, you know. But it's a really interesting film. But that leads me to visuals. So how... How do you incorporate... I know you make some of your own visuals for your yeah, shows, right? Yeah, I created the sort of... The thing that makes the visuals mm-hmm. in Maximus P, oh, Jitter. Yeah, yeah Jitter. Um, and it basically, I've just built like a, a visual instrument, which then somebody else performs mm-hmm. with. And we've been doing that for a few years now. And it's... People people actually go mad for this for this visual sort of experience. Yeah. I think because it's because you never see the same thing twice, because it's, it's generative. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's it's generative, but the the performers in control of it really. Right. But even but what I mean is like every single frame will is generative, but within the limitations of what the performer wants. So yeah. it's quite. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, to it anyone. does. It's kind of. Gen- <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll just try and explain what it does. Basically, it takes a photo. And then divides that up into like thousands of points of color and then rearranges it in a three-dimensional space, which is formed by 
This is, and this is the really complicated part. And I don't actually understand how I've done this because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the kind of person I am. But it takes a video footage and then bends all the colors based on the depth of the colors in the video. Mm-hmm. But you don't see the video. That's just like distorting it and bend and sh- adding shape. Yeah, that's just a starting. That's yeah, like the starting point. For it's me. just like a. But we and we used to do that with a with a, with a webcam. So it would take in light that's coming into the webcam and then bend all these fragments of color in a three-dimensional space based on that and is that at the performance like, yeah that's happening that's, this is all happening live there's no cue, yeah. not a single cue point it's just performed live so right. he, if he leaves it it generally will be quite still yeah and not have much behavior to it so he's there's a, about 20 controls which are different types of behavior which he can constantly explore what you know to my music live yeah so it's a proper it's a proper performance so how do you are you kind of just using those differences of each venue and each, are you kind of interested in how the environment changes and that changes an aspect of the visuals? For the- uh, um, not really yet because it's, it's kind of so powerful, like the actual patch that it usually just wants to be itself. Mm-hmm. I've got ideas for the future though, to include a more, Assess a, a way of creating visuals which is, takes into consideration these kind of things. Yeah. Because you don't want to be. I don't want to be too insular about it, and I don't really like all brutally graphic, uh, digital visuals. But yeah. for some reason, this one kind of works. Um, I think probably because it's so, it is so performance based mm-hmm. that it's not like, it doesn't just automate the volume. You know these kind of yeah. things. Yeah. It is like properly controlled by Rob, who knows my music inside out. Right. And therefore, you can really nuance and like reinforce things or like juxtapose things on yeah. the fly and it will always be a little bit rough mm-hmm. but that makes it um work really well well having played shows with a lot of people over the years have there been other people's visuals that you've been really into um that's a good question i really like it when people have live action just i watched one guy when i was at university he performed and he literally just had he just played a film mm-hmm. and performed this modular sensor and that's really simple and obvious and loads of people have done it but i just thought if you do that right that's like one of the most profound things you can do just literally play a film (laughs) it was like this really underground awful horror film yeah um but it just it felt like it was like the perfect accompaniment and obviously you really thought it out it wasn't random yeah considered i think it can it reminds me of uh when I was in graduate school, friends of mine, a couple that I played music with, they um, they played, I think it was about five songs that they composed, and they played to uh, Chris Marker's La Jetée. Okay. And it just, it's you know, played it silent behind them. Yeah. But it was so powerful. I mean, that's a, I mean, you're, that's a loaded weapon yeah. as it is. That's such a visually arresting, you know, short film, but the music was so emotional and it was heightened by... And it was instrumental, you know. Yeah. But, so but more... seeing that film, and you're watching a film, but you're listening to a soundtrack that these guys made. I don't know, it just really worked. It was a pretty yeah, it's a amazing. Good... I feel like there's usually, I mean, you know, I'd like to think I've seen a lot of bands play that incorporate visuals. And I can, on one or two hands, maybe count the ones that had like a significant impact. Yeah. But when they do, it can be really powerful. It's one of those tricky yeah. things where it can either just be... Oh, kind of the stuff we played behind us, you know, or yeah. it can really amplify what's happening on stage in the music, you know. Yeah, I think, well, I think the reason why that often happens is because, he, 
I think if you're going to do it really properly, you probably should take into consideration making a record with the visuals in mind from the get-go. Yeah. If, I think if you want to make it like a really coherent piece of art, and that's something that I probably will be considering for the, my next record, is trying to create a very solid concept which has the visuals sort of bound into the music yeah. already. Yeah. Because I've never really done that in the past. And that, I think that's often why it doesn't work is because it's maybe just, it's just slapped on. Mm-hmm. And even if it's slapped on and it's amazing, it's still just slapped on. And it, that's why it's often it, it, a little bit unhinged from sort of the music. Well, I feel like it's it, one of the reasons I love talking to artists and musicians is, you know, most artists are listening to music yeah. and are really into it. It's just, I don't know, I've, I've rarely met artist who's not interested yeah. no in i'm not interested in music and, and yeah right i'm just not into it and then um and all musicians have visual aspects to their work yeah i mean it's it's a big part of it you know yeah and um i think there are cases where sometimes it's like the after the fact you know just oh well now we have to think about that visual but some people are really good at kind of incorporating you know those two things together yeah. as like a story. You know, but I guess it also depends on the music too. I would imagine that if you're singing and you have lyrics, mm. there's going to be a different sensibility. You know, yeah. Do you feel it's freeing to have instrumental music as far as like people's interpretation of, you know, the vibe or like the overall feeling of what you're leaving them with? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I always gravitate towards instrumental music once I started learning an instrument mm-hmm. because I think. Yeah, maybe it's because lyrics are so... They don't have to be, but they seem to be very definitive. Yeah. And that's I think that's that's why it's so powerful, because they can just, like, override things in, a, in an amazing way, which sort of instruments can't really do. Mm-hmm. But in le- when they're not doing that, I think I was sort of a little bit... I just... Yeah, in my own work, I'm a little bit sceptical of using them. I just, yeah, just more abstract, I guess, it's... I'm just trying to think, would I ever use... I mean, I have used voice on my new work, actually, but it is very subtle, apart from... There's one piece of music, which will be out in the summer, which actually I do speak on, and I won't say what I say, but <laughs> it's... Uh, that's But that's for a very specific reason, mm-hmm. and it's just two words, um, like, sort of two-thirds of the way through the piece of music. So I like it when it's something like that, when yeah. it's in actually very meaningful and it's just making a point. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I think people tend to just be seduced by hearing the voice because so, we're so used to hearing it. Yeah, It's the same way playing the guitar, though. You st- you're so used to playing the guitar that it took me ages to just realise, well, why do I need to include it? Yeah, Just because I've been playing it for years yeah. doesn't mean that I need to include it. So, you know, it's just... But it's even more powerful than that, obviously, because we're used to hearing the human voice from from when we're... Well, even before we're born. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was I love a weird answer. I love, no, I love listening <laughs> to uh, to songs that are sung in a different language that I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, because then you perceive just sound, like yeah. the behavior of the articulation of the voice and everything. Yeah, it's really fun to like listen. I find myself more and more, you know, yeah. recently of just listening to a lot of songs and with how accessible music is now and how easy it is to get music from around the world. Yeah. You can, you know, you can find punk kind of, you yeah, know, from, rock from Vietnam to, you know, singer songwriter from China to, you know, 
yeah. African music. I mean, there's so much out there that I think it's it's interesting to think of detaching words from their meaning. Yeah, oh yeah, and, yeah. And some of my favorite singers, you know, like someone like Stephen Malcolmus from Pavement. Yeah. I feel like his lyrics are. I don't know that it actually makes any sense. Really, <laughs> Sometimes, it's almost no. like it's like poetic, you know, abstraction almost yeah. to a level. Yeah, yeah. and you know, even Sigaros obviously chose to explore just like phonetic sounds, and there's loads of yeah. I mean, it's I actually do find that when I'm li- actually just hearing people speak in a different language, that interests me just on a sonic level, for the same reason that you like to listen to music. But even when I'm like just on a train or something in a different country, yeah. Because I like hearing the rhythm of sentences and phrases because mm-hmm. I'm really interested in rhythm. And it's, yeah, it's just good. To, it's just a weird way of sort of like um, dividing up um, meaning because mm-hmm. there's so much like meaning compounded into one thing. But once you sort of lose the meaning of language, then you, you that's, that part stripped away and you're left with just like the sonic you know, rhythm, texture, and yeah. all these kind of parameters. And it's kind of, I guess, that's what making music in the modern modern day is. You're just constantly constructing or de- deconstructing sounds in, yeah. in a computer. So everyone's brain's like <laughs> really sort of attentive to things like that. Well, I th- mine is, maybe that. No, I think it's, it's a phenomenon, you know. Yeah. Like we were talking before about technology and how it just completely, I think, is rewiring the way people think about yeah. Whether it's sound or images or just culture, whatever it is, and the speed of the way we interpret information, but it's more of a surface interpretation of it. Yeah. So it, it takes way more of an effort to dig deep into something. Now, oh, yeah. You know, which in music is really interesting to me because like we were talking about earlier of, you know, finding music. It used to be so much of an art form to go to these stores where there's vinyl and digging through these old records. Yeah. And a lot of times taking a guess on it. Like you would have to look at the cover and say, that looks really cool. <laughs> Who's Lou Donaldson? You know, or and then go home and put yeah. it on. You didn't wouldn't know what, you know, the track on the B-side sounded like. Yeah. You know, and then you hear that and then you, you just do your research and you kind of dig through. But I think there's a real appreciation for kind of the historical connections between things yeah whereas now it's kind of like anyone can just sample or see you know anything in real time you know yeah i mean there's that site who's what is it called who sampled who i think oh yeah which yeah. is a youtube videos of like the hip-hop song and then the yep. 18 tracks that they sampled and you can yeah you know and i find that fascinating like do you know the band um boom clap bachelors they're called no, i don't think i do but um you know that uh, Don't Kill My Vibe song by Kendrick Lamar? Yeah. It's the sample. Oh, okay. Is of that band. And they're I, they're Nordic. I believe they're from Finland or Norway. Okay. But they the song that they that he sampled for that was yep. released a few years before, you know, like things like that. Where like, you know, Jai Paul? Yeah. You know, like his stuff being sampled before it's even out. Yeah. And like things like that. It's amazing like the speed of how yeah. that's changed. It used to be like we're just going to dig back to like old jazz stacks from like the 50s. Yeah. Now it's like there's this obscure band from Iceland from five years ago and yeah. this is a great... It's really interesting how the influence and how much more there is for, I would imagine, for musicians to pull from. Yeah. Yeah, it's just this huge database, isn't it? The do you feel of... the weight of it or do you just turn it off? Yeah, I kind of turn it off. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a good idea or not, <laughs> but it's just, yeah, I turn actually off a lot of things when I'm making music, um, as I definitely as I've gotten older as well, because I'm, fine, I'm finding that I'm trying to make music which is more personal and 
evokes like a narrative that's relevant to me mm -hmm. so there's just already like a billion things that just aren't relevant yeah so i'm not, I'm not seduced by even by something that's good or that sounds good necessarily mm -hmm. um because obviously the, you can easily witness amazing things on the internet on a daily basis but that's probably i, I always view it as being someone else's story or something whereas yeah. I'm trying to just be in touch with my own story at the minute, but I take into obviously take into account influence on like loads of different levels. But yeah, see, I think that's the plight of the um, the creative person of their field is that once you've focused in on like let's say it's for me it's painting yeah. and that's the thing I love and that's the way I want my voice to come out. Yeah, it kind of ruins painting. <laughs> yeah 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 because you don't want to just be you know especially when you're in school and you're younger you know you don't want to be looking at all these artists in a way because you feel like you're just going to be sampling their work and you yeah. want to find your inner voice yeah. you know and as a musician i would imagine that like i'm unencumbered by that as a music fan because i'm not really making songs so i feel like i could just listen to everything and just soak it all in yeah whereas i can imagine that you would want to at times go into a zone like where you're writing music or you're thinking about what you want to create and just turning everything off um yeah i don't feel like um it doesn't phase me though being listening to loads of stuff all the time. I can listen to loads of stuff, but I just have an ability to just become <laughs> like really quiet in my mind mm -hmm. when I'm working on music. But I can, as I've gotten older and I feel more comfortable with like what I'm doing musically. Now I, you know, I can listen to loads of stuff, and I don't feel like oh god, I should be doing that, or I should be doing this because they're doing that, and that sounds really good. Yeah, it's rare actually that I'm listening to a piece of music and I think, what the hell am I doing? Mm -hmm. Which I actually, like, I still miss that because I did, when did I, I witnessed it recently when I was thinking about, do you know Ash Kutcher? That sounds really familiar. Um, so he makes sort of very fragmented, granular electronic music. And when I started listening to it, I thought, oh, because these are things that I've explored like, yeah. many years ago. And it, then it dawned on me like, oh, why, why have I stopped using that as much? Mm -hmm. And that, you know, little things like this happen every now and again. And so I, you know, I like actually to be reminded of things all the time, but yeah. it's, it's always a good thing, really. It's never yeah. like, oh God, I don't know. Well, I feel like I'm more than ever, I know exactly what I'm doing musically. You've said that in your recent stuff, you've been trying, I think this is true, that you've been trying to make it a little more personal and yeah. letting more space in there, not making it so much electronic music that's, you know, club oriented or just dance oriented. Yep. Is that something that... Um, or you still enjoy that music? It's just you're trying to push in a different direction? Or is it you're just breaking away from that kind of stuff? Which, what kind of stuff? Of like, club. like club, you know. Well, like... I've never really been like a club person and never really made club music. I think even my music, which is the more club end of the spectrum, mm -hmm. is still nowhere near club music. Right. Because <laughs> it's, it's just not really got that functionality. Because cause I didn't grow up with it and I didn't... I mean, I've been to loads of clubs, obviously, like throughout my life. But I never really... When I'm at home, which is where I make music, I never, um, it's just, I don't even acknowledge it. Yeah. I'm just using the same sort of values, but it's just constructed in a much different way. Yeah. But maybe some of my latest stuff functions a little bit closer to club music, like Odyssey. Mm -hmm. um, but even that's just 101 BPM. So it's just already ridiculous, I think, to most DJs. Right. Yeah. Because I just, or every single one of my pieces of music is 
generally a different um, tempo. Yeah. So it's already, you know, just things like that. But obviously good DJs will take all sorts of different tempos and they won't be faced by that. Yeah. But I definitely don't conform to sort of the club formula at any point in my career. Yeah, I admittedly don't even really know that much about, like, quote-unquote club music. Yeah. I think the closest I really dug into it was things like scape records or where there's, like, a house kind of beat to things. Yeah. But I think that they're so atmospheric and almost emotional in a way that it's totally different from that just on the floor, you know, that kind of beat. But you know what's going to happen? Like we were saying before, we're going to get older. (laughs) Are we? (laughs) It's just as I kind of refound or or come to appreciate the disco that my parents listened yeah, to all yeah. the time we might we might go back and think Fuck, 20 get, years from now get really into house yeah i Detroit mean it may house. be like these guys were really on to something yeah no i mean it's all that stuff's good it's just i don't listen to it at home that much well yeah. I, I love actually actually one of my favorite things really is is being like at a house party and actually properly dancing yeah so it's but it's more it's not that relevant, I don't think, for my art practice. It's more something I just love to do, but I kind of separate it. Yeah. Um, and plus, I don't think I'm, I'd be that good at it. Because I think I've got such a songwriter's perspective on music that I can't really do what, like, a good house track or a good techno track. I, I don't think I can do it almost. Because it's so it's so razor sharp, mm-hmm. like the judgment of, yeah. of these specific parameters. And I just wouldn't be able to help myself. And I don't end up including <laughs> some kind of song, songwriter-esque thing that would yeah. just be ridiculous. Right. So I'm just doing my own thing, really. And I think that's why my music in the last few years has become much more known. Is because I, I'm deviating away from so many things, but also using the same vo- vo- vocabulary. Yeah. So it's actually inspiring a lot of people that make techno or house. I got constantly getting messages about certain songs that I've done that have influenced people mm-hmm. because I think they're excited by new ideas, but they know that it's within their vein. Right. But it's not. Do you know what I mean? This it's like kind a of fringe. Thing. It's not really the same. It's just a slightly different dialogue. But yeah. They're probably excited by that because it's it's doing something differently. It's but approaching it, it in a different way. But it's using the same words. I think yeah. that's why they like it. Yeah. Like in, like for example, Mind Against, who make sort of minimal techno. They've used my music a few times in like their live sets and people have gone nuts mm-hmm. about it. But it actually is so borderline fitting in. It's like really risky because they're like taking pieces of music that I've made that are 155 BPM and then slowing them right down to 120 something BPM and then just, and just adding a kick drum. Yeah. And which is ridiculous and crude. Mm-hmm. But even that people are loving just because that. The ideas that are within my music are so different, I think, from the ideas amongst the normal techno music that they're playing. Yeah. Not that it's better. It's just, it's just. A, it, it, I think they're excited by newness. Yeah. But well, um, to change the subject slightly, uh, being based in London and a great art scene there and lots of galleries and museums, is yeah. that something you're taking in a lot? Yeah, I go to galleries a lot, actually. Um, and have done because i live on a street full of artists um constantly going to like private views Mm -hmm. a lot of my close friends that are actually from leicester are illustrators and they've you know there's a whole scene with that and i'm constantly going to their shows yeah um constantly go to sort of the classic sort of tape modern tape britain um white cube galleries in london so i in fact that's one of my favorite things to do really is on a day if i've got a day off 
I will I will just go into London and just cruise around the galleries yeah. and then meet someone in the evening and just have like beers. Yeah. <laughs> that's not my favorite day. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds, well, it's so, it sounds it's, so basic. No, but it's great. I mean, that's one of my favorite days is, you know, just walking here, walking around Chelsea to Lower East Side and just, yeah. you know, walking through these different places and seeing all these, witnessing all these people's brains, you know, on the yeah. wall and basically seeing all this work. Yeah. It's just a nice way to kind of gather inspiration. And, yeah. you know, it's one of the most simple primal you know it, it's it's free it's you just walk in and you get to share this experience which i think is amazing yeah you know so i would imagine that's kind of gives you some inspiration right? yeah loads of inspiration music properly music inspiration as well not just oh i like what this artist is doing but i often find that i get genuine specific musical ideas from seeing paintings or sculpture mm-hmm. um for for example when we went to the Gaudi Cathedral in Barcelona, I actually had a super specific idea for a composition, which I've still not fully managed to achieve because it is, I'm finding it difficult to overcome a certain issue in it. But mm-hmm. the pillars, which like rise out of the ground and then sort of give way to smaller pillars to sort of support the roof, mm-hmm. that look so musical to me that I just imagine tones and then sort of giving way to like clusters of chord structures. Mm-hmm. So I actually and I actually drew this out as a visual composition because I've gotten into drawing like visual representations of what I want a comp- composition to achieve, uh-huh. like large as well, quite large, like sort of three meters long. Um, on is it Fabriano paper? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been doing that, so yeah, I can get very specific inspiration from seeing things, and especially color. Like if I see. I always try to, I've said this before in interviews and I don't know if I sound mad for saying this, but sometimes I'm looking at certain paintings in a gallery and I would just really want to run home and try to create the same colour in music. Right. Because I always feel like colour's lacking in electronic music mm-hmm. or, or certain types of colour. Yeah. So you're thinking like a palette. Yeah. You know, trying to create recreate that palette of colors that you're seeing yeah i love that idea of drawing compositions too because i remember being um really into anthony braxton yeah that he would have drawings i had no idea what they meant but i would see these records that had drawings yeah. and that was a composition it was like fascinating yeah, like graphic score to think about you know the movement of sounds through a visual space is such a cool idea yeah it's help it's super helpful i mean i i think because a musician's head especially in this day and age is so visual anyway mm-hmm. if you're working with a computer because you're constantly seeing a, a, a structure on the screen that's true yeah so it started to become almost intuitive to draw a composition out right because you're used to seeing it so you actually can be very um it, it it's not like metaphorical or poetic it's actually just like obvious really to yeah. draw stuff out so i kind of do it just to help me realize what it is that I want to achieve in music, but first visually, sometimes, yeah. not all the time. Right. But if it's something that I think is a little bit beyond me to begin with, I'll draw it out. Yeah. Well, and talking about collage too, now you can clip, you know, you just cut and paste things and move them around. Yeah. There's a real connection between collage and visual yeah, representation yeah. of like sonic elements yeah, that you can, I mean, there's a lot of glitch people who are just cutting and pasting and moving things around and, it's almost like creating a composition out of a collage yeah, of definitely. sounds, which is a really interesting, you know, idea, especially for someone who's working visually all the time to think about that. You know, and I was, when I started doing animation, I was playing around with little, um, 
soundtracks before I started working with a lot of musicians to score the animations. Mm-hmm. I was doing my own things and I was taking sounds and recording them and playing around with them in After Effects. Yep. Which is, you know, blind, basically blind remixing of the yeah. sounds because I have no idea what's going to happen when I put like a, a visual filter on an audio track. Yeah. You know, it was really interesting to think of that. It's kind of like, you know, improvisation in a totally different way. Yeah, and I've got, you, you must get some pretty unique results because you won't, you'll be pulling in sounds from a much fresher perspective. Because mm-hmm. when I'm pulling in sounds, I've already got an attitude as to how that sound behaves and how it would behave in, in a amongst a piece of music yeah so it's nice to not even have that sort of filtering process right. going on. it was a real blind kind of <laughs> process i mean sometimes things would come out that sound amazing and other times it was just like uh, that's not gonna work yeah but that happens a lot when i'm animating too with with visual effects too yeah. you know because i've taught myself how to do it i've never taken classes in it and there's certain things that i try that you know are just don't work yeah i mean <laughs> you scrap good. it you, you want know? things to not work but sometimes. i love that feeling too because with painting i i, I know what i'm getting you yeah. know what I mean? It's I know my materials. I'm composing things, and there's not as much of that random element to it. Yeah. Which I think I really respond to when I'm doing stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. You need, I think, some amount of randomization, just to um, sort of add a freshness to the the idea that's there. Yeah, definitely. Well, I before we wrap up, I have to mention. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention your home club, and what happened. <laughs> With uh, Lester. Yeah. yeah, so absolutely ridiculous. The greatest story ever told. Yeah. Jamie Vardy, <laughs> as, right? As, yeah, as people <laughs> have been saying, yeah, Leicester won the Premier League. Um, and the, the funny thing is, actually, I found that out when I just played a show in Las Vegas. So I was in the airport mm-hmm. and I went to walk towards one of the screens to see, just to double check my gate. And I... Out the corner of my eye, this sounds like I'm making this up like this is some, some <laughs> romantic story. Out the corner of my eye, I saw a, on a TV screen in a terrible restaurant, um, lots of blue T-shirts and so, lots of movement. And I turned my head and I saw loads of people in Leicester kit like going wild. And I thought, oh my God, they've done it. Because I before that, I checked the score and it looked like Tottenham were going to win. Mm-hmm. But, they, but in the last sort of few minutes, they managed to get a draw. And obviously that which meant that Leicester won the Premier League. And I just couldn't believe it. It was yeah. ridiculous. And I called my friend who, who we grew up in Leicester together and we both moved down mm-hmm. to London and he's an illustrator. And he was just going mad, screaming. His friends <laughs> were on the floor, like people were crying. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> it was just, it was just, and I, just hearing them like screaming and, and being weird on the phone and drunk. And that they went to the pub and were there till like 5 a.m. They were yeah. drinking champagne. This is just on a Monday as well. Right, right. They're making up for years and years of not being able to do that, right? It's just, yeah, it's just, it's just the funniest thing. And he was high because I'm not massively into football that much anymore. So mm-hmm. I loved it. But he was actually high, like, like he was on drugs for days because I would meet him like in yeah. for lunch or whatever. And he was still high and he was just, just reeling. Yeah, and he's and they actually celebrated it yesterday in the in the city centre, mm-hmm. and there was like t- over two hundred thirty thousand people celebrating it, and just imagine that's amazing, especially as well because I think the Midlands in England are not really sort of well apart from Shakespeare, they're not really associated with anything super well known. So yeah. now all of a sudden, I think it helps the whole of the Midlands shines a light on that. Area. Yeah, it's just yeah. A, a little thing. 
Well, if, if only you had been in Vegas a year before that and bet on this. Yes. Because <laughs> those odds were crazy. Yeah, 5,000 to 1 at one point, yeah. I know, uh, yeah, it's, it, is, it is madness. That is, and someone did. Yeah, you know, loads of people Just out of blind faith, or just like, well, I do this every year. Yeah. And I think then, a lot of people got paid off as well because... Oh, yeah, they would like, sell, yeah. Maybe a month before they won, yeah. it, they were, the bookies were so scared that they would say, <laughs> okay, here's 20 grand instead of 40 grand. Right. And people would take it because it's like, wow, yeah. it still looked like they wouldn't ever do it. Right, right. Because even my, me and like some of my friends who are from Leicester who live in London, we were getting so nervous yeah. like every game just because it just was ridiculous, this bubble right. that was going ongoing. And yeah, it's just... But it's just I do love the just the jokey sort of banter side of of, of um, them winning, yeah. Because it's almost like a joke <laughs> on on <laughs> like everyone else, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and my friend, I think summed it up really well. He said that uh, Leicester winning the Premier League is the most punk thing that's ever happened. I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so funny. It's more punk the, than the Sex Pistols. The most punk thing. It's just anyway, but yeah, Leicester. Well, it's a great story. All right. Well, thanks so much for taking all this time to talk to me. Yeah. And why don't, if you don't mind, share with you know the people listening where they can find your stuff and, yeah. and when you might be playing in the future. Yeah. Okay. So um, I think one of the best places to follow what I'm doing is probably Facebook. So mm-hmm. facebook.com forward slash rival consoles, because I actually, I'm constantly posting things on there, silly things as well. Yeah. And um, SoundCloud is probably the best place to listen to new things that are coming out. Okay. So, if, you know, simply searching Rival Consoles on SoundCloud is a really good way to keep up to date with my latest work. But in terms of maybe sort of buying music, um, Erase Tapes, the record label that I release under, have their mm-hmm. own store. And that offers, you know, so we have lots of vinyl and also 24-bit quality WAVs if, if people are into that. Okay. And so it's it's just very simple to search in rival consoles in the erase tape store. But yeah, I would say Facebook and SoundCloud is sort of like my go to the way they go. For what I personally am constantly up, up dating. And you're putting your live dates too on on those channels. Yeah, on Facebook, Facebook it's constantly mentioning new shows that are coming up and we you know, up, up, upload tour posters and flyers and stuff like that. Cool. But I mean, yeah, beyond that obviously Google will have like a, a, a zillion things going on. Yeah. But I would say Facebook, especially because I upload lots, lots of silly videos on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So I think if people want to know how mentally deranged I am, that's, <laughs> that's the best place to sort of t- to check into. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me.
Many thanks to Robert at Erasetapes.com for helping this happen and Ryan for taking the time out to speak with me. Make sure you check out Erasetapes.com to check out more of Ryan's music.